Well, as Jake said, good morning. Welcome to Riverwood Church, whether you're with us in person or you're joining us online. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor for Riverwood. And as Jake said, we are continuing in our little short survey of the book of Proverbs. Well, I think it kind of goes without saying, but everybody wants to win. Whether it's the lottery or the Super Bowl or someone's admiration or maybe even just, you know, winning at shoots and ladders. Like, we, we want to win. Because when you win, it kind of feels good. But also, often when you win, you kind of receive some recognition. You get a little bit of respect. And sometimes, you even, like, get some perks, maybe some wealth. Take Michael Phelps, for example. Uh, Michael, as many of you know, was a famous uh, American swimmer. Over the course of four Olympics, Michael won 28 medals. Of those 28, 23 were gold. And over the course of his career, he set 39 world records. Oftentimes, he was breaking his own world record. Like, if you want a definition of a winner, it's Michael Phelps. And Michael Phelps probably has the most respect of any swimmer to have ever done the sport. He's, his name is known all over the place. I mean, th think about this. He is not in a sport where there are big ticket sales, like basketball, baseball, football. I mean, he's a swimmer. And yet, people know him. Like, ask most other people, hey, name another swimmer. Oh, I don't think most Americans could do it. The only one they could come up with is Michael Phelps. He is a winner. But also, his wins has brought him wealth. I mean, think about it. Again, he's not in a big ticket sport. No one's walking around with a Michael Phelps jersey on. I mean, that'd be a little awkward to wear a Michael Phelps Speedo, you know, as you go to the store. Like, no one is wearing this. And yet, he is worth today $80 million. Because various companies have sponsored him, or they've hired him to be a spokesman. Maybe he's also got some help on how to invest. I mean, he, he's a winner. And with that win has come that respect, the admiration, the recognition, but it's also brought the wealth. No wonder people want to win. Now, I realize the chances of you guys becoming an Olympic winner is super, super, super slim. If you're going to make the Olympics someday, I want your autograph just so I can simply know you. You don't even have to medal. Like, just the fact that you made the Olympics is amazing. The only way I'm going to the Olympics is if I buy a ticket. Right? It, it's not going to happen. And so what we have to do is we have to win in other arenas of life. And so for most of us adults, we want to win at work. We, we want to do successful in the project. We want to go above and beyond. We want to do things in such a way that we receive the respect and admiration of our boss or our coworkers. We want to do it in such a way that we're first for the promotion, that we will get the raise. Because when we get those things, we win. Others of us, we want to win in our hobbies. We want to land the big buck, to get the trophy fish, to achieve a certain level in Pokemon Go. I put that one in just for Jake and Grace. We, we, we want to set a PR in, in, in a half marathon. We, we want to achieve these great things because if you become really good at your hobby, if you become as an expert known in coin collecting or able to find the best camping spot, you start getting some recognition. You start getting some respect. People start turning to you, wanting some info, wanting some help. And sometimes when you get really good at a hobby, you get perks. Sometimes you get prizes, you get awards, you get wealth. 
But I would say that the area that most of us want to win in is life. Now, we all have different definitions of what a win in life looks like. Some people, their, their win is a large bank account. Others, their win is to be able to retire by a certain age. Other people, their win is by a, a certain house or driving a certain kind of car. Or they, they need their children to turn out a, a certain way or they get recognized for something, you know, like the, the number of degrees they have or they win some award or maybe they get recognized for all of their volunteerism. We can have different definitions of what a win is in life, but that's what we want. Because if we win in life, we get that recognition, we get that respect, and sometimes we get some perks to go along with it. Everybody wants to win. Now, the way I'm setting this up, you're probably thinking I'm about to say, but winning is bad. No, not at all. Winning is actually just fine. Like, I think it's great if you could go and win a gold medal in the Olympics. I think it's wonderful if you get promoted at work. I think it's worth celebrating if she says yes to your marriage proposal. Like, wins are good. And sometimes when you win, you receive the attention, and that becomes an opportunity for you to actually, like, do ministry, to encourage someone, to help someone. And it may become the very avenue that God uses for you to share the gospel and someone's life to be radically changed. So winning is good. Winning is fine. The problem is when we allow that desire to win to become paramount. Like it becomes what we are all about. And when that desire to win gets twisted with our sin, I did not mean to make that rhyme. Um, but when, when it's twisted by sin, we end up going into greed. And it is that greed, that desire to win that causes athletes to cheat. It causes coworkers to lie. It causes someone to slander a neighbor. It causes someone to steal. And it even has caused some people to murder. Now, I realize that none of you here are going to take it that far. You're not going to allow your greed to take you to murder. However, I don't want you to make the mistake that I made this week and think that greed is not that big of a deal and doesn't affect you. For, for guys, this is probably true for women too, but I, I'm, I'm a guy, and I'm just going to let you know, for a lot of guys, there seem to be three big things that take guys down. Money, sex, or power. That's kind of what we're looking at over the course of this series. Today, we're going to be looking at greed, money. Next week, Matt Townsley is going to be teaching on pride, power, and then I'll come back and we'll finish out the series on lust, sex. But of, of those three, greed is not one that would tumble me. Like, obviously, I'm not money hungry. I'm in ministry, right? You don't plant a church if you're wanting to get rich, all right? So this is not an area of my life that I think, like, I'm greedy. And yet, with the click of a mouse, God allowed me to see the greed in my heart. A friend of mine was looking at purchasing a house. I went online because I wanted to see it. And as I'm looking at it, right next to it is a house that looks like it's in the middle of the woods. And I clicked on it. I did not think I had a dream home. I discovered it. And in that moment, I was wanting to just sell off everything I had trying to buy this thing because it was actually out, out of my price range. But I, I, I wanted this. In fact, I went so far as to text it to Leanne. And my wife is even less materialistic than I am. And she texted back, you know, I don't really want to drive for work, but I might make an exception for that. Like this place was gorgeous. Now, just so you know, 
it faded. I'm actually content. I like my house. I like Waverly. I love my church. We're not looking to move. But yet I had fooled myself as I was preparing this message. Ah, greed's not really something that I wrestle with. And just like that, greed whispered in my ear, Aaron, if you have that, you'll be happy. You'll be winning. Greed affects all of us. And as we're going to see today, it is actually far more insidious than we realize. We're going to look at the traditional definition of greed, but we're going to see Solomon actually expand that. Solomon's going to warn us that if we don't deal with greed, then we're going to fall for the lie. We're going to think that, oh, to win, we have to do these things. But what he's going to help us see today is that when you allow greed to take over, you actually lose. And so we need protected. So as we get ready to go into Proverbs 1, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as we get ready to come to your timeless scriptures, these words that were written almost 3,000 years ago, and yet we're going to see how relevant they are today. Would you open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to what you need to say to us? God, I pray for the person here who does wrestle with greed. This is the area that would topple them. That they, they are hungry for more. I pray today that you would minister to them, that you would encourage them, that you would free them, and that they would find peace and contentment in Christ. I pray for the person here today who's like me and thinks that greed does not affect them. God, would you open their eyes to what does lurk inside, to, to the desires that are there, so that we can hand that over to you and allow you, Jesus, to work deeply within us, to make us into the people you want us to be, so we can do the things that you call us to do. So God, we ask for you to teach us now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and through your timeless word, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, when we began this series, we read the first seven verses. It was a good little introduction, and then we went and studied chapter 2. Then last week, in our second week of this, we studied verses uh, 19, uh, I mean 20 through 33. So we, we studied the last half of chapter 1. So what we're doing today is we're going back to the middle. And what we've been seeing is these Proverbs, these, these things of wisdom... They're here to protect us. So last week was being protected by uh, wisdom itself. And now we're seeing this week how wisdom can protect us from greed. And as I said, next week is going to be uh, protection from pride and then protection from lust. So if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to put the scripture up on the screen so you can read right along with us. Uh, but it's really encouraging to me to see a number of our church family opening it up. Uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible, but you, you've got a phone, download one to it and use it. Uh, if you're with us online right now, a number of our church family have their phones out. So that's totally fine with us. If you want to go old school and get a paper Bible, just go to Walmart, go to christianbook.com, or if you just can't afford one, just let us know. Write it on your connection card or send us an email. We will gladly get a paper Bible into your hands. Here in just a few weeks, we hope to have a table out. We'll put the Bibles out, and people can just take those and make that their everyday Bible. Uh, join me at verse 8 in Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1, starting in 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The garland that Solomon is referring to here was either like uh, uh, ivy uh, uh, leaves that were turned into a circle or, or olive branches. And, and it was made into the circlet that was then placed on the head. This was the typical uh, award for an, a winner of a sporting event. It's, it's what the ancient Greeks used to give as their gold medal. So in other words, this is for a winner. The same with the pendant. 
The, the pendant would have been a necklace. The Hebrew here is actually a chain, but a lot of English translations don't translate it chain because to say that you're in chains is not a good thing in America. And, and so they translate it pendant, but it would be this chain that may have had some sort of pendant on it to indicate that they had been appointed to an office. So this chain would have like said, you are honored, you've been elevated, you're assuming this office in our government or within our organization. And, and so it would like be for esteem, for respect. Again, this is for a winner. And so in these first two verses, what Solomon is saying is, son, if you want to win in life, if you want to get the gold medal, if you want the circlet, if you want the pendant, if you want to win, listen to my instruction. Listen to your mom. She's pretty wise. Like we have seen things. We've experienced things. We've made mistakes. And we don't want to see you lose we want to see you win and do even better things than us. So listen up. We're going to tell you how to win. But then interestingly, in verse 10, he immediately shifts to, but if you want to lose, here's how you can do it. So look at it in verse uh, 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors." The Oxford Dictionary uh, gives us the traditional definition of greed. They, they say this, that greed is an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. As we're going to see here in just a moment, that is definitely true. However, Solomon takes that definition and he is going to expand it. He's going to see, let us see that it's so much more than just this intense desire. In fact, he's going to let us see it's four things. That greed is a lack of trust and contentment. It is a focus on self. It's a destruction of others. And it is a destruction of self. All right, so let's do that first one. A lack of contentment. Look there at verse 13. The, the gang of greed, they say this. They say, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. In other words, what they're saying is, we're not content with what we currently have. We think that we will find happiness if we get more. If we can fill our houses with all these possessions, we'll be something. People will think we're great. We will be happier. So in other words, they're not content with what they already have. I think our American companies know this is the condition of our hearts. All you have to do is look at their advertisements. Notice the way they tease us, trying to get us to purchase something. Basically, they're saying, hey, you want to be happy? You want to be content? 
buy this. Notice it, especially around Black Friday. In fact, you don't even have to wait till Black Friday. Amazon's having their prime days coming up here in just a couple of weeks. I mean, they, they do anything and everything they can to make us think, you know, I'm not really content in life. But if I had that, oh, things would be so much better. But notice it's not just a lack of content. If you peer at this more, you look deeper, you realize that really what Solomon is saying is that these guys have a lack of trust. At least they would if they feared God. You see, if you say that you revere God, you're saying you believe that there is a God in heaven who is sovereign, that this God is all-powerful and all-knowing, so therefore, if he is all-knowing, he knows what you need, and if he's all-powerful, he is capable to give you what you need, and so therefore, maybe by you not having it, it's forcing you to have to trust him. You see, if, if you're going to win in life by having peace and contentment, it's going to require a certain level of trust in God. This gang, this, uh, gang of greed, they do not have it. They don't trust God. They think they have to go and get more. But if you're going to truly win in life, you have to have a certain level of trust, trusting that what God has given you is exactly what you need. The second thing that he points out to us Oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to skip this. This is a good verse. Uh, this is Proverbs 28, 25. It says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. I would say most of us want to be enriched. But what the author here of Proverbs 28, 25 is trying to get across to us is it's not just getting enriched with money, but just being enriched in life. Jesus said he came to give life and give it abundantly. It wasn't just financial wealth. It was this idea of peace and emotional stability of, of relationships. That's what it means to truly be rich. You want to be enriched in life? Trust in the Lord. Don't let greed begin to get a foothold. Don't let it lead you to not trust God. Don't let it lead you to be discontent with your life. Second thing, greed is a focus on self. If you've got your Bibles open there, skim through verses 11 through 14, all right? Take, take a moment to just read through that. If you're with us online, you might click on that Bible tab and, and go over there to Proverbs 1. Look through 11 through 14 and notice how many times there's the word we or us. Now, depending on which Bible translation you have, you can add anywhere from seven to nine. Uh, I'm using the English Standard Version today. It has it in there nine times. I looked at the Net Bible as part of my study this week. It has it seven. The Holman Christian Standard had it eight. The, the reason that there's kind of a, a variousness is because the Hebrew does not specifically keep using the word we and us because it's inherent through the entire thing. In other words, what this greedy gang is saying is that it's all about me. It's about their stuff, their desires. It's all about you. So the other people don't matter. The only people matter in order to take their stuff. Like, th that's all it's about. It's all about me. That's where greed leads us. The problem is, if you say you're a Christian, you can't live this way. The word Christian means little Christ, which means you're supposed to be like Jesus. The way we say it here at Riverwood is we're going to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. Well, Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, which we saw just a few weeks ago, 
He did not come to uh, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus did not come down so that people could focus on him. He came and put the focus on others. He came to give. So if we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, we have to be others focused and give to them and not look for what we can get and focus on ourselves. Um, my uh, brother and his wife uh, moved to Arkansas about a year ago, and uh, they bought a, a nice little three-bedroom home. But the plan was to kind of fix it up. There were some things they wanted to do with it and then turn it into a rental. And they've just been keeping their eye open for a, a little larger four-bedroom house that might have a few things because my brother's starting his own home business, uh, a home inspection business. So wanted a room to be kind of an office, and they've got a, a couple of dogs, and so they just needed a little more space. Well, they've been keeping their eye out, and they found one. It, it was being sold by this couple. So my, my brother and his wife go over, and they visit with them, and the place is perfect in fact, this guy is a photographer. He had an outbuilding completely furnished and done. It would be perfect for my brother's new office. I, I mean, this fit everything they wanted. And then as they start talking with the couple, they find out that this couple are also fellow Jesus followers. This guy was going to begin working for a mission agency to travel around the world to take photos of the work that's being done so that it could be used in the promotional materials of this mission agency. And so they just connected on a faith level emotionally. Well, the very next day or, or two days later, a realtor contacted this couple who's trying to sell the house on their own and says, I have a couple who's seen your house online. They want to offer you $20,000 more than what you're asking. Suddenly, this couple, they really liked my brother and his wife, but now $20,000? I mean, they're going into missions work. I mean, $20,000 could help them out so much. And yet they prayed about it and decided, we still want to sell to my brother and his family. And so they told them that. The reason they could make a decision like that is because they were content. They didn't have to have that $20,000 extra dollars. They were content with what God had given them, and they wanted to bless my brother and his family. They were others-focused. But now the story's not done. My parents came this past week and told us that my brother and his, his wife, they, they, in a sense, lost the house. Turns out that this couple, as they were looking for a place to buy, their situation completely fell apart. The place they were purchasing, they, they can't get it now. And so they talked to the mission agency, and the mission agency, well, actually, we don't need you right here because you're going to be traveling all over. You could actually just stay where you're at. But the problem was they'd enter into an agreement with my brother and his wife. And so this meant that they were going to be homeless. And so they talked with my brother and his wife, and Derek and Becca talked and said, you know what, the place is perfect, but what we have right now is fine. And so they backed out so that the couple could keep their home and not end up on the streets. You see, if, if greed was ruling their life, there's no way they're backing out. This place is everything we've been wanting for, everything we've been hoping for, everything we've been praying for. I mean, what a provision from God, right? And yet, because they were not living discontented with what they have, because they're not looking at the situation going, well, we got to get for ourselves, they were able to see the situation that this missionary and his wife were in and realize, well, let's help them. Let's serve them. Let's back out so they can keep their place. 
That's what greed allows you to do. It allows you to be others focused. But when you, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. When you have lack of greed, it allows you to focus on others. But when you are, are, are greedy in your heart, you can't notice the situation other people are in because it's all about what you want to get. And that actually leads into our third point today. Solomon helps us see that um, greed is a destruction of others. It's a destruction of others. Look at verses 11 and 12. Solomon has these guys say this. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, by the way, Sheol is kind of the Hebrew idea of the grave, right? So like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. These guys, they really don't care about anyone else. They only care about themselves. And so to get their things, to get their plunder, to fill their houses, they really don't care if they destroy someone else's life. Now, we look at that and go, Okay, that's a little over the top. What Solomon is doing, though, is he's letting us see greed gone to its natural conclusion. When you allow greed to just run unfestered in your life, this is where you end up. It really does become just about all about you getting stuff. And so if you destroy someone in the process, okay, no, no big deal. Now, for some of us, this is really, really hard to fathom, but I thought of a modern-day equivalent. Internet scammers. Phone scammers. They, it's a game to them. If they can get you to part with your money, they win, you lose. And they really don't care if they just took all of your retirement. They don't care if they just emptied out your savings. Like, they do not care if you're a little old lady and they just ruined your life because it's all about them. Their greed has led them to a place to destroy others. But Solomon warns them and it says, it doesn't just destroy others, it actually ends up destroying yourself. Look at verses 18 and 19. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its predecessors. We actually see those two verses in the news on a somewhat consistent basis. I th think about it. How often do we hear about a politician, a, a business CEO, uh, some like Hollywood mogul, some sports celebrity who looks like a winner? I mean, they have all the wealth. They seem to have all the respect. Their, their, their images are in the media. Everyone seems to like them. And then we find out that they actually cheated Wall Street that they were bribing people to be quiet about certain activities, that they were manipulating and even abusing people verbally, sexually, physically, just to try to get what they want. And now as the news comes out, our cancel culture has kicked in and these guys tumble from grace. And no longer are they the top who everyone loves and respects. Now they're at the bottom. These men have destroyed their lives. In their pursuit of greed, in their pursuit of everything, they didn't care who they ruined in the process, but what just happened was they ruined themselves. And now I want you to realize that Solomon wrote these words, these two verses, almost 3,000 years ago. And yet here we are in 2021, and we're still seeing it happen. 
And so what that makes me do is that I need to listen up to Solomon. Because I think I have bought somewhat into my culture's idea that, you know, greed isn't that bad. I mean, it's just this intense desire for something. And yeah, I want a taco. Okay, big deal. But yet, when you let greed start to fester, you start seeing what Solomon's right. It is a cancer that will absolutely eat up your soul. This is why the New Testament, when they list some sins, they include greed. Like if you were to go out and ask someone, hey, what are some of the worst sins? Probably number one you'd hear is murder. Yeah, okay, that, that's pretty bad. You might hear someone say, well, theft. Yeah, yeah that, that's pretty bad. Uh, if you're trying to get really religious, you might say blasphemy. Okay, yeah, that, that's kind of one of the big ones. But I don't think anyone would say greed. We, we just kind of put it down here. Yeah, greed's not great, but it's not as bad as murder. And yet when Jesus lists off the sins, what comes out of a sinful heart, right in there is greed. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 5, he calls greed, he uses the word covetousness, he calls it idolatry. You, you know what idolatry is? It, it's worshiping an idol. Idolatry is basically saying to God in heaven, the one true God, the only God, I'm knocking you off and I'm putting this in your place. It could be sports, it could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be your job, it could be your bank account. I mean, it could be anything. And you put it in that spot and you worship it. But how is greed idolatry? Well, think about it. Most of you would say that you are Jesus followers. You've come today, you've connected with us to worship. So what do you do in worship? You give to God through song. You're, you're giving him praise. You're giving God your attention by spending time learning in the word. Here in a little while, we're going to give financially. Uh, we, in a sense, are giving God our lives. We're giving him our heart. And in the process, we're hoping that we are giving God joy. Well, what is greed? I think most of us would say that greed is taking. But think about it. When you take it, who are you giving it to? Self. And by having all these things and then looking like a winner, you're trying to get respect. You're trying to get the glory. You're trying to get joy. You're giving all these things to yourself. In other words, greed is the worship of self. And that is why God lists it right alongside some of the worst sins you could possibly think of. Because greed is saying, God, you're not enough I'm knocking you off, I'm putting myself up there, and I'm going to get whatever I can to make me happy. This is why Solomon warns his son so strongly. And basically he's saying, son, you've got to protect yourself. So how do you do it? How do you protect yourself from greed? I think Solomon gives us a clue, verses 10 and 15. In verse 10 he says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then down to verse 15, he continues this idea. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Now, notice he says, son, when they try to entice you, when they're trying to pull you, stand firm. It's kind of what he's saying there in verse 10. But then in 15, he takes it a step further. It's not just stand firm. 
It's actually step back, like walk away, go the opposite direction. And so I think what we need to do is we need to look at, okay, so what was Solomon's definition of greed, and then how do we do the opposite? All right, so the first thing he pointed out to us was that, well, greed is a lack of contentment and trust. So I would say the first thing we need to do to protect ourselves is to pray. Simply pray that God would help you to be content. To be content with your house. To be content with your car. To be content with your job. To be content with your relationship status. Now, don't mishear me. I am not saying that you can't go and purchase a new house. That you can't purchase a new car that, that, you know, if, if you, God works it out and your relationship status goes from single to married, I mean, all of that can be good. But what happens is when we don't live with contentment, we often jump into those things and we make big mistakes. We make huge financial mistakes. We make huge relational mistakes because we don't trust God enough and just say, I'm content here. But when you are content with what you currently have, when an opportunity comes, you know a change needs to be made. When an opportunity comes, you don't panic. You don't reach out and, and jump at the first thing that comes along because you can look at it and go, yeah, that, that's not the right thing. And you can let it pass because you're content. And when the next opportunity comes, you can look at it. No, that's not the right thing. And then one day, suddenly an opportunity comes and you go, that's it. That's the right thing. And you can make the move. And guess what? You'll find yourself content. You'll be trusting God. And he gets all the glory and joy because it isn't about you. It's about him and what he's provided. So I'd say, I'd say pray. Just pray. Ask God to help you to be content. Ask him to help you to trust him. And, and in fact, as you pray, express thanks. Thank you, God, for my house. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you, God, for what I do have. Help me not to constantly be looking for what I don't have and thank you for what you have already provided. So first thing, pray. Second, we see that Solomon says that um, greed is a focus on self. So I would say the second thing we need to do is to give. Because when you give, your focus isn't on you. Your focus is on others. At Riverwood, we talk about giving your fist, your finances, your influence, your skills, and your time. These are things that we so often try to hold on to. And I think what God wants us to do is open up our hands and give them. So because money is often tied in with greed, give financially. Give into a GoFundMe campaign for someone who has medical bills. Give to an organization like Compassion International or International Justice Mission. Organizations that are trying to take the gospel and help free people from whether it's poverty or enslavement or whatever. Or even give right here at Riverwood. We are on a mission to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. Our, our eyesight is not on us. Our eyesight is outside this building onto others. So help us continue to be others-focused, to be like Jesus, and to give ourselves into this mission. So give. But don't just give your money. Give your influence. Some of you, you need to give your influence to kids. You need to go and serve back in Kids Creek. This summer, you need to serve at the Waverly VBS. You need to give of yourself because right now you could influence these kids far more than you realize. You need to use it for God's kingdom and God's glory. Some of you, you have skills. God has given you specific skills. How can you use those and, and be other-centered? Or T, time. That's the hardest one for me to give up. Life is so busy. And when someone's trying to ask for some of my time, my initial thought internally is no. So maybe you need to give some time. 
Maybe you need to walk across the street and give 30 minutes to that elderly person and just sit and talk with them. Maybe you need to go and volunteer at the food bank once a month. Maybe you need to go and serve at the end of this month at the Waverly Community uh, uh, Meal. Give some time because it takes the focus off yourself and it helps you to shift it to others. But then Solomon warns us that greed, it leads us to destroy others, but ultimately it destroys ourselves. I think the best way to combat this is the gospel. When you look at Jesus and his work on the cross and the empty tomb, that helps you see Jesus did not come to destroy us. He came to enliven us. He came to give. And so if that's what Jesus does for us, if we're going to be little Christs, we need to go and live the same. We need to give our life into this. And so the gospel is to be our motivation to go. That means if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, your first step is to give your life to Jesus, to say it's all about him. Most people, when they realize the truth of the gospel, they mark the moment in prayer. They, they completely confess their sins, say, God, I, I realize my sin has kept me separated from you. I now give it all to you. So give your life to Christ. Here in just a moment, we're gonna have a time of prayer and we're gonna celebrate communion. Use that moment to give yourself to Jesus. But all I realize, a number of you connecting with us today, there was a time in your life where you made that decision. And yet right now you may realize, greed has kind of crept up in my heart. You're, you're realizing that you've not been trusting God. You haven't been content. Your thoughts swirl way too much around you. So where is God leading you? How do you need to apply the gospel? What is he saying to you? What do you need to give up? What do you need to take on? Where do you need to surrender? I'm going to be honest. I can't do it in my own strength and power. I'm just way too selfish. That's why I need Jesus. That's why I need to look at the gospel. I need to see what Jesus has done for me through the cross and the empty tomb. And let that be what motivates me to go, to be a blessing, to, to live others-centered. And so if you are a Jesus follower, I invite you to come to these tables. But I'm going to ask you to do something just slightly different today. I'm not going to ask you to come and to take. I'm going to ask you to come and receive. That as you approach one of these tables, I want you to imagine that it is Jesus holding that tray before you. And as you take it, it's Jesus saying, that's my body. That's my blood. I give this to you to ransom you from the clutches of sin. And so if you're feeling beat up at all, feeling guilty about the greed that's been lurking inside, I don't want you leaving here today feeling guilty. I want you walking out of here freed because Jesus is allowing you to come to this. He's giving this to you and he's not saying, don't touch it until you get these things cleaned up. He's saying, I give this to you so that I might clean you up. Jesus wants to free you of your greed. He doesn't want you worshiping yourself because he knows that if you're going to win in this life, 
it's going to be found in him. So may you come, may you receive, may you accept what Jesus has given to you and may that help motivate you to go and live a life without greed. So Heavenly Father, as we come to these tables, would you work in our hearts and our minds? May we not come to this thinking we, that we have to somehow be perfect before we can take these elements. We come and take these elements because you are perfect. You've already done everything that is needed and necessary. And so God, I pray that this just be a time of surrender, that this be a time of worship, that this be a time of giving our hearts and our lives to you so that you can do in us what you need to do so that you can then do through us what you want to do. Because God, there is a world that is deeply hurting out there and we do not want to be like this gang of greed who makes it all about self and ends up destroying others and ourselves in the process. Instead, we want to be like Jesus who gave himself completely. There was not a greedy bone in his body. And so God, we pray that you'd help us to be like Christ, that you would wash us through your Holy Spirit, that, that through the atonement, our sin is taken away and we become more like Jesus. So God, fill us now. May we walk in the freedom of who you are. And may we do that by remembering, Jesus, what you did for us through the cross. May we take this bread, realizing this is his body broken for us. May we drink the juice, realizing that is his blood, which was shed for us. May we celebrate you right now. And may we realize the forgiveness that you give us. And may we walk out of here feeling refreshed, clean, and greedless. So God, help us now to worship you to do this in remembrance of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.